But let's grab our Bibles. We are going back into the book of Romans, chapter 3. We will do a bit of review and then launch into our focus this morning, picking up from about verse 21. Remembering as we study through this incredible letter that we're really in search of a, a theology that would fuel a doxology, that changes everything, not just learning about Christ and this incredible message of the gospel for information's sake, but in a way that transforms our hearts and minds. And I don't know if you've noticed, it has been intentional, but uh, most weeks I've kind of incorporated somewhere in the messages just a few testimonies of different things that the Lord is doing around the world. I'd shared, I think on a couple of occasions, some stories. Is this all right, by the way? Sounds like it's... It's all good? Shared some stories coming out of the Middle East, particularly Iran, in the midst of great persecution, just the miracles occurring there, God's work. We uh, shared the last few weeks some testimonies historically of what God's done in our own nation and even in some of the Pacific Islands. And I was encouraged this week, I don't know how many of us have heard or come across something that they're calling the Asbury Revival. Who's heard of few of us, around about half of us there, but basically it's nice to share a more modern example, isn't it, of uh, kind of a work of the Holy Spirit, but um, Asbury is a university college in the US and about a week and a half ago on a Wednesday night, the students turned up for what was an ordinary chapel service that's now lasted over a week and a half because the Holy Spirit turned up and then 24-7 since then there's been people coming in, first of all from the university And then I think as people got wind of it, all of a sudden people coming from different parts of the US to just be a part of what God is doing in that particular place. And it's interesting, isn't it, how God moves in different ways. We talked about some of the the supernatural signs and wonders, the miracles in Iran and in the Middle East. We've, you know, talked about previous revivals and in moves that were, were, um, had different demonstrations, the the bold proclamation of the gospel, whereas what the Lord seems to be doing or has for the last week and a half has just been this sense of his gentle presence. And people have been sharing testimonies of we came in and just the the sweetness of the Lord's presence. And people just, just gently coming and kneeling at the front and repentance and no no main speakers, no main anything, just a student-led Holy Spirit-empowered worship service for a week and a half. So praise God for that. And it's interesting as well, but I I heard one reporter note that it's not the first time at Asbury that something like this has happened. But back in 1970, so over 50 years ago, a very similar thing happened. And that was in the midst of what they called the the Jesus People Movement, where uh, God was really working, particularly in the U.S., in this uh, countercultural youth movement. And so in 1970, very similar thing. They had a chapel service. They had a couple of weeks where the Holy Spirit turned up and it was just continuous round-the-clock worship. And in fact, it was interesting. I was, I was reflecting on that and just prayerfully seeking the Lord. And into my inbox came an advert for a new movie. I don't know whether you've seen this one. It's called The Jesus Revolution. And it's actually a a movie slash documentary that details the accounts of 
the Jesus People Movement. So it started the late 60s into the early 70s. For those who haven't heard, it's before my time. But it was, it was a, a movement where um, in the midst of the, the 60s, the, the free love and this you know, um, countercultural movement that was arising there, the Holy Spirit was just poured out. And people came to Christ, the estimates are anywhere from 300,000 to 3 million, some people would say more people in this short period of time were brought into the kingdom. Just this incredible time that really changed the course and the direction of a generation. And I'm not saying that this is Jesus' revolution too, but there's, there's sometimes those interesting coincidences in the kingdom, isn't it? That if nothing else, the Lord can use, and this has been my heart, to stir our faith, to believe him for more. He knows there's always more than we can think or we can imagine. And, and it you know, says in Scripture, blessed are those who are hungry. And, and I feel in myself, and I hope, and even that's my prayer as we uh, reflect on the Scriptures today, that there would be a deeper and a greater hunger a hunger for him, a hunger for the fullness of what he desires to do. Knowing that we, we can't, it's not about working something up within us, is it? I, I always think, um, you know, the, the picture for me is if you're out surfing, as I love to do, and there is this sense of we have no control over the waves. But if you're a good surfer, you know exactly where you need to be positioned. You've got to be actively waiting and wanting. You've got to be hungry enough to actually get out there in the first place. As Adam will tell us in our recent surfing trip when we were down there for a pastor's retreat sermon for another day. But you've got to get out there first. You've got to be hungry enough to push past what's uncomfortable. And then you've got to wait expectantly knowing that there's nothing you can do to generate the wave. But he desires for us to be positioned in faith and an expectancy ready to move with what he is doing. And I'm already preaching my sermon here, but that's, that's the heart of faith. It's not us trying to move God. It's the means by which God moves us into his kingdom purposes. Now we better pray or I'll get stuck into the message before we do that. So let's pray into that, into our time this morning and see what the Lord would do. So Father, we thank you. For your kingdom, we thank you for the realities of that we see through history, the realities that we've seen and heard testimony of even this past week. Thank you that you're moving, you're moving when we see it, you're moving when we don't see it. And I pray that you would give us faith, even as uh, one father said as he approached you with a, a very sick child. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's my prayer this morning that you'd stir up fresh faith, that you'd help us in our unbelief, that we would know what it is to be a people who walk by faith, who grab a hold of your promises and see you do incredible things in our time, in our generation, we pray. Let what's happening in Asbury and other parts of the world, Lord, let it spread, because that's what we need. We need to see the reality of your kingdom coming. Whatever it looks like, if it's peaceful and just gentle and sweet, if it's powerful and shaking us up and bringing us to our knees in repentance, whatever you want to do, we just say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. All right, let's try and preach after that. So I want to talk this morning about faith, and we set up the scene last week from Romans 3 as we've moved our way through talking about this incredible reality of justification, what that means. Paul had talked about the ultimate need of every human heart, and then this radical provision through Christ's blood, his death on the cross, his resurrection to make available a righteousness, being right with God that didn't come from the law, it didn't come from the works or the strivings of the human heart, it came as a gift. So let's review that and I want to pick up this notion of faith and how faith plays a role in the midst of this and not just in salvation but in all of the believer's life. Verse 21, chapter 3. Some of this is review, but as I said, I want to illustrate something here. It says, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. This is always God's intention and plan. The righteousness of God, here it is the first time, through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received, how? By faith. Not a trick question. You're following on, all right, how are we doing at the back there? Sorry, there's lots of passages this morning. Let's continue. Righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who what? The one who has faith. So we talked about justification. As Luther said, it's the hinge. We, we perhaps referenced in this notion of it's not just the jump start, it's the engine. So if, if justification is the engine, it's the place of power for the believer. It's where we build our lives, not upon what we can do, but upon what he has done. So if justification is the engine, then I would suggest that faith is the key. How do we receive this? How, 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 what's our response? And three times through this passage, Paul makes it clear. This is what he has done. For who? For those who would believe. For those who would receive it by faith. Receiving it by So it's not just believing with some sort of intellectual nod or assent. Sometimes we place together faith and belief in the same context, sometimes even used interchangeably. But they're fundamentally different. James talks about, in James chapter 2, he says, well, even the demons believe and they tremble. I love that little detail there. But they believe, that they know who Jesus is, but belief is not faith. So it's not just a conviction of something. It's not just a strongly held opinion it's not even believing that something's true. Faith is more. You can believe that you can walk on the border and still stay in the boat, but it's faith that actually gets you out to step in and to fully place your trust in who he is and what he said he has done. And see, the truth is we, we all have faith. We do. We all place our belief and our trust in something or someone. So Paul's bringing us back to that place. He's saying there's only one firm foundation for your faith. 
for your belief. It's trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't leave us there. He gives us this example. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to kind of um, head through a little bit, chapter 4, and pick some things out here to try and understand then what is the nature of this picture of faith. So Paul's made it clear. He said, there is this work that Christ has done. He, he has justified us. He's made a way. And there's only one means to access that. It's not looking within. It's not looking to think. It's placing your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ and what he's done. So the example is from Abraham. Have you got your Bibles again ready? Let's go. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. It says, well, what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's the first thought as he gives us to support his argument that it's all about faith. He's saying, well, let's look at Abraham's life. Now, most of us would probably be aware of Abraham's story, but just in case, we're not. Abraham was a Gentile. He was going about his business, and the Lord appeared to him and gave him a promise. So the Lord says, yeah, come, come with me to this land that I'm leading you to, and I will make you a father of many nations. And that unfolds the story and the journey of Abraham. Abraham, called by God, given a promise, called to put his faith in that promise, and ultimately, God faithfully fulfilling the promise that he gave to Abraham. So Paul's first point is he looks at this story saying, look at Abraham, and what is that a picture of? Is this a celebration of Abraham's works? Is that really what is central in this story, the things that Abraham did and worked and strived to achieve? And he would say, as he often does, certainly not. That's not the case at all, is it? This is a picture of God's promise and Abraham's faith in the promise that God had given to him. We're clear on that first little tear as we go on. So he moves on in verse 9 and he says, well, is this blessing being the blessing of Abraham's faith that he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness? He says, is this only for the circumcised? He's saying, well, is this just something special about Abraham? He was an important figure. He was the, the, the father of the, uh, the covenant. Is, is, is this something that was just for him? Or perhaps it was only for people who were circumcised, who were part of, of this particular covenant that God made with the man and then the nation that would come from him. Is this blessing only for the circumcised? That's what he's saying. Or is it also for the uncircumcised? But we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Now, we're talking a lot about circumcision. Let's you know, look past the act itself, which is rather uncomfortable. What Paul is really getting towards is that was the mark or the token of the covenant. 
And so he's making this argument. He's saying, was the faith somehow linked to circumcision or the covenant that God made? Was, was the work somehow linked into this particular picture? And the point he says well, is, is that Abraham actually believed before he received the sign of circumcision, which was a seal of the righteousness that he had accomplished, not through works, not through circumcision, but by faith before he was even circumcised. We're clear on that particular point there. So what he's trying to say, he's trying to make very clear that the basis of salvation is faith. It's not works, it's not acts of the flesh. And this actually turns it on its head. Because even in Paul's time, there was a lot of people saying, well, really, if a uh, Gentile wants to become a believer in Christ, they need to follow the path of the Jew. They need to become circumcised. They need to follow the law. And this is what Paul says against that. I mean, there's many other examples in Scripture as well. He's saying the basis of salvation is faith. It's not works. Gentiles don't need to copy Jews in order to be saved. In fact, the Jews need to copy the Gentile, that is Abraham, who believed God before he was circumcised. He responded in faith as a Gentile. It had nothing to do with his Jewishness. Now, we kind of get lost on some of those details, and I'm trying to bridge us over there, but to grab this heart of the basis of salvation is faith. So he goes on 4.16 and he says, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offsprings. Making it clear, this is available. Faith is the key. Faith is the means. And Abraham is himself the example. He represents not only the entire nation, but even the world who were declared to be righteous, not the basis of the law or circumcision, but on the basis of believing, of grabbing a hold in faith, the promise that God gave to him. So I know that's a lot to take in, but there's two points for us, and we're at point number one. Someone take a deep breath. Point number one in us learning from Abraham's example about the nature of true faith is simply this that Paul's made very clear. Faith is a life lived fully leaning on the promises of Christ. That's where it begins. That is the source and the substance. It's not works. It's his promises. That's what I'm building my life upon. That's what I'm fully leaning upon. Because there's two mistakes I think often we make tragically about faith. First of all, the first mistake is this. Sometimes we believe that faith is this thing that we've got to work up within us. I had a very good friend of mine who I knew for many years, and he was a part of a particular movement of churches. It wasn't nothing to do with us, just to make that clear. But he'd gone through this terrible tragedy in his life, and he'd lost someone that he loved. And that's obviously a, you know, a very grieving and difficult thing to go through at the best of times. But the environment that he was in, they um, sat him down one day, and it was a horrific experience for him. But they said, look, we just want to let you know that the reason that you lost this person you love is because you didn't have enough faith. Now, I don't know whether you've heard something similar to that, but that sort of thought at times pervades. And it's, it's an atrocity 
to the nature of true faith, that somehow faith was this thing that, well, if, if I didn't see it, then clearly the problem's me. It's not God, so it must be me. I haven't worked up enough. I haven't strived enough. I mean, just think about this picture that, that Paul's painting of Abraham. This is the exact opposite of what we're talking about, of reducing faith down to just something that we need to, to generate ourselves. How transient, how um, futile and fragile that kind of faith is. So faith is not something we work up or work hard. It's not a call to work hard. It's a call to lean hard. It's not an invitation to more of us and what we can find within us. It's an invitation to Him. And if we're truly to live this life of faith, we've got to remember the source. It's all about who you're leaning on and what you're leaning on. And the wonderful thing is, when it's God's promises that we're building our lives upon, it is unshakable and it's unfailing. That is the firm foundation of faith is grabbing a hold of his promises. The second mistake we make often when it comes to faith is that faith becomes the means that we can get God to serve us rather than the means for God to enlist us in what it is that we're doing. Faith can become and has been presented as this in some circles as the means by which we live for our pleasure. Just believe for it and God will do it. Rather than, as Scripture says, faith is the means that we live for His purposes. Now, He's, he's concerned about our pleasure, but the end game is not our pleasure. The end goal is His purposes and His kingdom. See, so He doesn't say here, does it, that by faith Abraham desired a private jet parked in his garage. Now, maybe the Lord would say that. Maybe the Lord would say, by faith, I'm believing for a... A Porsche or Ferrari. Problem is, it wouldn't even make up the driveway. But if the Lord says that, that's fine. But faith is not about enlisting God to our service to fulfill our every desire. It's Him enlisting us to His service. He's saying, Abraham, this is what we're doing. We're going to change the world. And Abraham's like, I believe you. And look at the faithfulness of God to fulfill His promise. When it comes to salvation, this gift of God, it's about God saying, here is the greatest gift. Receive and put your faith in the finished work of what he's done. And you know, the great encouragement as we come to scriptures is we see this promise-giving, promise-keeping God. Scripture is full of it. It's what he loves to do. He loves to come and to give promises. And then he loves to fulfill the promises that he gives for our good and for his glory. And so faith is this confidence and this assurance that God will do whatever God has promised. And faith that's based in his promise, it's unstoppable. It has and it will continue to turn the world upside down. If we can grab that reality, faith has a substance and a source, and it's not our wishful thinking, it's not the desires of our heart. It's His promise, and His faithfulness, and His purposes. So that's the first part. I want us to read on one more passage here, and then look at the second aspect of faith, and then we'll bring this to a conclusion. 
So we read that it must depend on faith, he says, in order that the promise, this is verse 16, may rest on grace and be guaranteed. Don't you love that word? It's guaranteed. If he's promised, it is guaranteed. You can build your life upon it because it's unfailing. It's guaranteed to all of his offspring. Adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Now, I love this. This is a description of Abraham in his faith. It says, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. What a description of God. Come on. That's, that's where I want to be placing my faith, in that kind of a God. Verse 18, it says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, So he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, when he looked at the impossible circumstances, which was as good as dead since he was 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. There's some challenges there. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, is the phrase, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, it's, it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's an incredible portion that talks about the faith of Abraham. This wasn't a static faith, was it? It wasn't a faith that he said, okay, well, time to put my feet up. And This was an active faith. It, it, it required not a working up, but it required a working out. And I love how it says that, you know, he, he believed in this God who could do the impossible. And so he was not wavered by the impossibility of the circumstances, but he grew in his faith. It's almost this process of as he journeyed through this, it was step after step, trusting in God. He saw that God was faithful. And, and you see this progression in the life of Abraham, because we can celebrate the great father of faith that, you know, received this promise and God fulfilled the promise. But it wasn't a perfect journey, was it? God originally called him and he was slow to respond. He's like, well, God, I've got some stuff going on. My, you know, my father, it's got to wait till he dies and then I can. Eventually he responded. And then even then as he initially responded, God reconfirmed this promise and this covenant and commitment. And there was this little period just... Cross over this little bit. No one's ever done this, I'm sure. He thought, well, maybe I'll just help God along a little. Everyone been caught up there? I mean, God wants me to have children. I can probably do something about that. I can just help God's hand a little and made a royal mess of it. So I don't want to gloss over this, this sense that Abraham was some kind of superhuman person. He wrestled through this, but his faith was in God. It's a bit like Peter getting out of the boat, a couple of steps, and then falls but Jesus is there to pick him up saying come on and there's this progression for Abraham as he grew stronger and stronger in faith and until the point where there's this moment that God calls him after having fulfilled his promise against all odds that he'd have a child to say well take Isaac up and sacrifice him and it says Abraham was he was there he was ready to go he's fully convinced that God was going to raise him from the dead he, he, he just knew 
I've got this confidence now. I don't need to try and help God out a bit. I don't need to try and figure out another. God knows what he's doing, and I can fully trust in him. Like you see this progression in his life. The point is that it wasn't a static faith. He wasn't working something up, but he was fully living out this proving process. So we talk about faith, we think about faith, we read books about faith, we preach sermons about faith, but it's not just for decoration. It's not just to put there on the shelf, it's for demonstration, it's to be put in action. It's to be lived out, it's actually to get out of the boat. Yes, we might fall down a few times, but he's there, ready to lift us up. At this moment with my girls, when we first moved out to the property that we're in now, and Uh, One of the dreams was to kind of set up this self-sustainable garden, have a little market garden scenario. So I'd fenced off a whole paddock. It's a couple of acres worth. This is going to be my garden. I sat there with uh, all of my girls at one point, and I said, girls, each of you can have a nice little garden bed to yourself. And so one one of them was, I mentioned which one, was straight in there and dirt and shovels and manure and... The other girl was a little more circumspect, but she'd planned it all out. She came back after an hour or so, and she said, Dad, I've got the garden bed planned out. Here it is. There's pretty rows of flowers, and it was delicate, and it was lovely, and everything was thought through. She's done a great job. And I said, okay, sweetheart, let's go. Jump on in, into the manure. Let's get going. And she looked at me with horror. And she said this. She said, Daddy, I'm a clean girl. Like, I... I I, I don't do dirty. I just find someone else to do the dirty work. And, and I don't want to suggest in any way that faith is dirty work, but there is this notion of, you know, we, we want to pray and we want to be a people who have faith to move mountains, but then never do any heavy lifting. You know, just, just kind of, well, you know, someone else, just let Peter go and he'll probably fall on his face again and then we can all laugh at him and... At least he got out of the boat. You know, like there's a sense in faith that it is fully leaning on his promises. That's where we are. But it's living out this proving process. Even the great Martin Luther who talked so strongly and poignantly about faith alone being the means for salvation. He said this. He said, a faith that gives nothing costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing it is faith must have some kind of a response some kind of a an outworking not a working up but an outworking in our lives so faith is this invitation to fully be leaning upon his promises but fully living out this proving process as abraham did not perfect but he grabbed a hold of this god who was able to call things that were not as, as though they were, this God of might and majesty. And he says, even though he bumbled his way along, that's the kind of life that I'm going to live. I'm going to jump out on that. I'm going to put my trust in that kind of a God. I'm going to live with that kind of a faith. Can we get the worship team out here again? Or some variation of it. Abraham, against all odds... He kept his eyes on the Lord and he grew strong in his faith, fully convinced, fully convinced that God could do everything that he promised.
to do. Would you mind closing your eyes this morning? I want to pray for us. It's a couple of things in particular. But I'm asking this morning that God would, again, stir our faith. A faith to believe against all odds in the face of circumstances. To grab a hold of His promises. To be a people fully leaning in and living upon but also be a people who have the courage and the boldness. Step out of the boat. Not just to believe theoretically, but to put our faith in Jesus, that He is able, that He is mighty. There's a couple of people in particular I want to pray for this morning. This is just what the Lord's led me to as we kind of bring this time to a conclusion. And maybe I'll set it up this way. You know, another example, we talked about Abraham. I love this guy, Elijah, in the Bible. I can kind of relate to him because faith is this journey, isn't it? That sometimes we're up and we're pumped. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. And there's this moment, there's this encounter in 1 Kings 18 as Elijah's there and the country is just, his people are you know, turning everywhere but to God. Things are falling apart around him. Faith rises up as this moment with all the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel and calls down fire and God shows up in a mighty way. And God says, well, it's going to rain because it's been drought for three and a half years. And in faith, he grabs that and he perseveres in prayer. He prays and he prays and he prays. It's the faith of the man and all of a sudden... It's raining, God answers or fulfills His promise. Like you see this incredible picture of faith. But then in the very next chapter, 1 Kings 19, we find that well, Jezebel gets wind of this, says a few nasty things, and all of a sudden he falls apart. Like he's completely down in the depths of depression. It's like, Lord, just take my life now. There's no point in living. Think what happened to that man of faith. But that's sometimes the journey. And yet God in His mercy, He meets with him. He's like, hang out, I'm going to come meet with you. And He waits for God and God's not in the, you know, the storm and the whirlwind and the fire. And in the gentle whisper, He comes and He meets with him and He comforts him. Reminds him of His, his purposes and His plan. Then He reminds him, it's like, you're not the only one. There's 5,000 others. Take heart. Keep going. And I kind of have that, that sense this morning. That's really the, the invitation. It's not that, ah, that's great too, Lord. Give us more faith. But it's that picture of the guy with his child who encounters Jesus. Jesus says, do you believe? And he's like, well, yeah, I, I believe. I, yeah, I, I do. But, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And I feel like God wants to meet, maybe it's many of us, maybe it's all of us this morning, in that place. Well, I, I believe, I do, but God, help, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And there's, there's two particular areas but I'm sure there's many others you can respond to. The first is this. Just between you and the Lord, I'm not going to ask you to 
do anything funny, stand on your head or anything. But I just felt that prompting from the Lord this morning that if you're here and one of those areas that you're, you're just giving up in, you're like Elijah, God, there's no faith left. It's, it's for people like this. If, if you've been believing for a family member, if a family member, it might be a, a child. You know, and there's been seasons in your life where you have prayed for them, you've persevered in prayer, you've interceded, but you just feel like you've lost hope. I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to pray that God would meet you in that place, that He'd bring His comfort, that He'd bring His presence, He'd bring a reassurance but that he'd bring a fresh renewal of faith. It's for your kids, it's for your family members, there's people in that boat. The second one is this. For those, the the word I heard from the Lord is this, broken dreams. If you feel like there's been things, dreams, callings, whatever it might be that, that you've had for your life, that you felt were from the Lord, not just your own kind of wishful thinking, but you genuinely felt God had said something to you. He'd given you a promise. And you feel like you're in the midst of the journey there, and maybe like Abraham, you thought, well, I can just lend the Lord a a bit of a hand. You made a royal mess of it. But if there's any sense this morning of broken dreams... I believe that God wants to meet you in that place. He wants to breathe fresh life, fresh hope, fresh courage. Can I just, I mean, every eye is closed. Can I ask an indication? How many people, one of those two speaks to you? Just raise a hand so I know who I'm praying for. All right. We've got probably over half the congregation. Um, so I'm just going to pray for you here and then we'll have the ministry team as well and you can respond to, to those and others as well. But if this is you, just receive this prayer online as well. Father, I thank you that you are the God of all hope. Not just some hope, not just a little hope, just enough to get us through the day. But you're the God who causes us to abound with hope in believing, it says. In believing. And so I pray this morning for a fresh hope to believe. Father, I pray particularly for those two groups of people that you put on my heart. For those who have someone that they love dearly. Might be a child, a prodigal someone that in previous seasons had been just a passion to pray for, promises that you'd given that they've held on to. But right at this season, it feels in some ways like those promises are a a pile of broken shards. Father, I pray like Elijah in the pit of his despair that you'd come, that you'd wrap your arms of comfort, that you'd proclaim that truth, it's going to be all right, because I am here. That you would reignite the promises 
that you would cause that fresh flame of faith to arise, to believe in who you are, your goodness and what you've said you would do. That like Abraham, we might pick ourselves up and continue to believe against all hope until that place where we're fully convinced and assured of your faithfulness to fulfill all of your promises. Pray for for healing where that's needed. Pray for a fresh just burden of intercession, joyful intercession. Thank you that you're the God of reconciliation and restoration. And we just pray, God, and proclaim that we would see prodigals come home. Jesus' name. Lord, I want to pray for people this morning where that word broken dreams means something. Lord, you know exactly what that means. Thank you that you're the God who's able to not only patch things up, but to put things back together in a way that's even stronger than they were in the first place. And I see you just just turning the mess, putting back together the, the broken jar, the broken pieces in a way that's even more beautiful. Thank you for your grace. And may this be a fresh season of faith, a fresh season to believe, a fresh season to live on and lean on your promises and to live out this incredible calling to be a people of faith. You know, if if you're sitting there and the Lord's ministering to you, you're more than welcome just to stay where you are. If you're able, I'd love for you just to stand. We're just going to finish as we've done the last little while, this last season, just by honoring the Lord. Get the, the prayer teams to come forward. If there's anything in kind of that space this morning that I've been praying into or anything else that you would love prayer for, really would invite you to come forward seek the laying on of hands and some prayer from our prayer teams for the rest of us bless you this week you're very free to go at any stage for those who want to just linger a little on the presence of the lord just let him minister to you let's do that just worship for as long as these guys are happy to worship for and when you're ready you feel free head off hopefully refueled and recharged and ready to go for another week amen so if you want prayer prayer team's coming an available person at the front, just come in. Have someone stand with you. Have someone agree together in faith for what it is you're believing for.